you know, as CEO, I do a lot of things. Uh, you know, I stand up in all hands and I like to think that I have an impact. But the biggest positive change we've had on the alignment of the company is having those strong leaders in every function and in every location. And that just means when, you know, when things are moving fast, people start to get a bit, um, bit unsettled. There's a calm, strong voice there who can say to them, this is how it's supposed to be. Here's how it connects to your day-to-day work and your personal aspirations. Hi, and welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaStock and hosted by me, Alex Humer, CEO of SaaStock. In exactly three weeks on December the 6th, we'll be bringing the SaaStock experience all the way to SaaStock Oceania in Sydney. On one of the first sessions of the day, I'll sit with a fireside chat with Alex Faller, CEO of Vend. He's also the latest guest on the SaaS Revolution Show, where he gives us a sneak peek of what we will talk about on stage, how he ripped the Silicon Valley playbook for hiring executives apart, and rewrote it. Ben was founded in 2011 and Alex joined in March 2015 as VP of Strategy. Three months later, he became CFO. In both roles, he focused on the business and commercial side of things. By February 2016, then CEO and sole founder Vaughan Rousel decided it was time to let somebody else lead the company while he focused on the product side of things, which which was his passion to begin with. Alex was put in place as acting CEO while the board searched for a permanent one. Four months into the search and Alex's tenure, they figured he was the best person for the job and kept him. First order of business for Alex was pivoting the company structure to fit the different go-to-market strategy he believed was necessary to truly scale the company. Two and a half years later, the company is 250 people strong, half of the team based in its HQ in Auckland, New Zealand, and the rest spread in offices in London, Toronto, San Francisco, Melbourne, and a few other places. Alex has hired seven of his nine direct reports in the last year, without using the Silicon Valley playbook, which he deems irrelevant for anyone outside of the Bay Area. Listen on to learn why he steadfastly believes the more traditional Silicon Valley playbook does not work outside. If you read a lot of things on the internet, it'll basically tell you that the playbook looks something like this. Um, First, there's a set of standard exec roles that every SaaS business should have. And when you need to fill one of those roles, what you do is you call up your VC and they give you a list of people who have been there, done that in uh, companies of similar stage, similar products, similar price points, similar target customer, similar go-to-market strategy. Occasionally, you might need to go someone to go for someone who's a bit of a stretch, but most of the time, you'll just be able to sort through all of these amazing people and make the hire. That might work if you're the hot company with the best investors in the Bay Area, um, but I just think it's kind of ridiculous to, to think that that's the way it works for most of us. How Alex approached hiring instead? If, if you sort of said to the GM or the manager of an elite sports team that all you do is follow a playbook, they'd tell you that that's ridiculous. Um, you know, it takes them years of drafts and trade and development to get the talent and the chemistry and the team that they need to, to get a shot at winning the championship. So, look, as I was um, building the team, I guess I, I focused more, I focused on that craft. And also for each of the roles that I was bringing on board, I tried to get really clear on what was a non-negotiable and what I was prepared to compromise on. And that might be different for different roles. What are the things that have helped Alex the most to keep people aligned through all the different offices? There have really been three things which I think have made a big difference. One of our values is act as an owner. 
Um, and I think that having that ownership attitude in your company is really, really important where you've got everybody thinking from an overall company perspective. So that's something which we just expect and demand of everyone in the team. We're constantly talking about it. And I think, um, you know, we, pretty, we do pretty well at uh, sort of encouraging all of our people to go into every conversation they have with that lens in mind. In my conversation with Alex, he further gives very valuable tips on Australian and New Zealand companies scaling globally, as well as international ones venturing into Oceania. We will cover both topics as well as many others on December the 6th in Sydney. The day will be filled with actionable content, meetings with friends and investors, and great opportunities for connection and partnerships. Grab your ticket now at sasdoc.com. Now on with the show. Uh, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Alex Faller, uh, CEO at Vend. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, Alex. It's good to be here. Well, two Alexes. It's, uh, I don't know how many Alexes we've had on the, uh, uh, on the show. We've got a lot who that work for SaaS Doc, uh, um, but uh, it's, it's always good to speak to another Alex, even if you're on the other side of the world. Yeah, well, ho- hopefully this isn't going to be too confusing for people. They'll yeah. probably recognize my funny accent and, you know, you've got a funny accent too, so they'll be able to tell the difference. Exactly. A couple of, a couple of funny accents there. And so you, you're the other, the other side of the world. Whereabouts um, uh, am I speaking to you from? Uh, I'm in Auckland, New Zealand right now. Okay, very cool. And you just, uh, you just beat the English by one point in rugby on, uh, on, on Saturday? Yeah, we, we we did. I'm 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 not going to rub it in too much. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, you know, these the All Blacks are a religion in New Zealand, so these things are important for us. All right. Well, I appreciate you not not rubbing it in. As it, it it's nice and early on a Monday morning, and you know we're still a little bit sore about that. Uh, but uh, but Alex, really appreciate you taking the time to you know come on the show. Obviously, this is kind of like a, a precursor to um, us actually speaking at Sastock Oceania. Uh, mm-hmm. on December the 6th in, uh, in Sydney. Um, but, uh, you know, for the audience on the SAS Revolution show, uh, tell us a little bit about who is uh, Alex Faller. Sure. Um, so I was born here in New Zealand. Um, I come from a very diverse immigrant background. Uh, so my mum's half Swiss and half Polish, and my dad was uh, the youngest of 11 children from a small country in the Pacific Islands called Samoa. Um, and I, uh, I studied business in my undergrad, and at that point accepted that I was never going to play uh, professional rugby and develop the passion for helping New Zealand companies compete on the global stage. Um, and so that started at McKinsey & Company. I had a couple of years studying politics and development economics at Oxford University and then sort of fell into the world of tech. Um, and, there, and, and, you know, I really discovered that I liked, at that point, being part of the team building a company rather than climbing uh, the ladder at a big corporate. Um, so I've been doing that ever since. Um, Along the way, I married my high school sweetheart, and we had three children. That's awesome. me. Awesome, very, very cool. I, 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 I have two kids, and uh, we, we flirted with the idea of having a third. But right now, it's like uh, definitely not two, two, two's, two's more than enough. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. As soon as you, you go beyond one on one, it's difficult. Yeah, it's, it's it's certainly a tough challenge. And and running, you know, running a business, being a CEO, being a family person. Um, yeah, I, I guess also, you, you know, has its, uh, its challenges, but also, you, you know, uh, I, I guess sort of pleasures as well. Um, but um, so you, you, uh, you, you see your vend, um, vendor based or well, where, where are vend based? Because it's kind of a, a, a global company, right? 
Yeah, it is. So we were founded in 2010 in Auckland, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Um, We now have about 250 people around the world. Um, Mm -hmm. So we have offices in Auckland, Melbourne, Toronto, London, and then a few people remote. Mm -hmm. And about half the team are based in Auckland and the rest are scattered around the world. Um, and similarly with our customers, you know, we, um, we now have about 25,000 retail stores around the world using our product. Mm-hmm. Uh, 90% of them are outside of New Zealand and there's kind of a, you know, a concentration in the US, Australia, Canada, the UK, and then a long tail out to about 140 countries. And what, what, what does the product do or what does the company do? What problem are you solving Yeah, so the label on the side of the tin says uh, point of sale, um, which means something to retailers. And I guess to um, to everyone outside retail, it sounds like we're we're disrupting the cash register. Uh, But, you know, what we do is much broader than that. So really for retailers, we are the platform at the centre of all of their technology needs in their business. Um, So we do a bunch of workflow stuff around inventory management, customer management, product management, and yes, the point of sale. Uh, And then we're also um, connecting up all of the different parts of their technology needs. So whether that be e-commerce, payments, um, bringing that all together in one central hub and then giving them insights into their business. Awesome. And so so you mentioned uh, the company formed in 2011, uh, roughly 250 people sort of globally. Um, Are you guys bootstrapped or you've raised venture capital? Because I think, uh, I mean, uh, 0.9 are one of your investors, right? So I'm I'm, I'm guessing it is the raised capital part. Yeah, that's right. So, so we've raised about forty-five million uh, US dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, point nine, um, one of our investors and, and very good friends, uh, and then um, others. Square Peg Capital from Australia, uh, Valar Ventures, one of Peter Thiel's funds, um, and uh, and a lot of other many um, many valuable investors. And um, and so I think actually I don't know if you, you're. Uh, uh, oh, I'm not expecting that you'd be aware of this, but but when. Um, I or before Sasstock and you know we I had this little blog called Sascribe. One of the first people that I they interviewed on a Q and A was uh, was Vaughn uh, uh, oh, and uh, Vaughn Russell and uh, so he he's the the founder or or are there co-founders at the company? Um, yeah, that's right. So Vaughn um, was the the sole founder of yep. the company. Um, and you know, Vaughn, um, inspirational guy, you know, he was a lot of the reason why I joined the company. Um, so I joined in March, 2015. Um, I had, uh, I'd known Vaughn for a while and, and was just really impressed and inspired by what he'd done, um, you know, building the company to that point. So, so yeah, so was it a decision by Vaughn to say, okay, look, you know, I've kind of taken this to, you know, to where I can, and now we need, you know, uh, a CEO to kind of take us to the next level. I've recently, actually, just this week, another point nine company, the uh, the Typeform guys, uh, and I, I, I was always kind of wondering, like, how how far will the co CEO situation go? And, and they've just announced that they're replacing themselves as CEOs. Um, but was it a kind of similar situation? Like Vaughn's like, this is far as you know, I, I want to take it and let's bring in Alex. Yeah, I mean I saw the I saw the type form announcement and that was that was interesting. But no, ours was a, a bit different to that. Um so I when I joined, I was actually VP strategy, mm-hmm. um, which um they kind of needed someone to come in and, and help out with various sort of bu- business and commercial issues. Uh and that was March of 2015. Uh about three months later I became CFO. And that was much more really about driving strategy and commercial decisions Mm -hmm. um, rather than the traditional accounting role. And it would have been February of 2016 uh, when Vaughan decided to step back from the CEO role. Um, You know, he, 
you know, very, um, you know, product-driven founder um, and really wanted to spend more time on product. And, and I think in, in the CEO role, you spend a lot of time thinking about go-to-market and organization and capital and all of those things. Um, and so at that point, I became acting CEO and the board did a global search for the permanent uh, role. And about four months later, they said, you're doing okay, you can stay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was uh, you know, it was, it was quite a natural process in many ways. Okay, very cool. And, and so uh, and uh, since then, like, so how big was the company at that point? Um, you know, what have been, uh, I, I guess, sort of over, over those sort of couple of years that you've been the CEO, um, let's say some of the, the, the major sort of challenges and, and some of the growth that you've also kind of like experienced uh, as CEO of the company? Yeah, so when I, um, when I took over as CEO, we had a headcount of about 170 or 180. Um, and as I said, Bend had been a real startup darling and growing really fast. And I was inspired by Vaughan and there was a lot of what he had built that I really wanted to hold on to. Um, but one of the things we did was we sort of took a step back and asked ourselves whether what we were doing at that point was going to get us to be the billion dollar company that I think all of us, um, aspire to get to. Uh, and I th- and one thing we identified was that, um, was that essentially we had uh, grown the business almost exclusively through an inbound marketing funnel. And we knew that at some point that was going to cap out. And so we needed to diversify the top of the funnel. Um, and that had um, a number of, of organizational implications. So at the time, we had a, a global functional structure, traditional SaaS, marketing, sales, customer success. And as we were looking to change our go-to-market, what we realized was we needed country managers who were going, going, going to own the entire customer journey in their region. So we really needed to make a pivot in, in, in our organization to support the go-to-market strategy. And, and you, uh, one of the things that we'll uh, be sort of discussing um, uh, during your fireside chat at SAS.Oceania Oceania is around the, uh, the, the playbook for hiring. Um, mm-hmm. about ripping up the, the San Francisco uh, playbook uh, and obviously finding something that, you know, fits for, for, for Vend. Um, tell us, uh, you know, a little bit about that and why you think that, uh, let's say, the traditional playbook for hiring wouldn't necessarily work uh, for you guys. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think right across our industry, there's so much written and there's great podcasts like this one who teach you playbooks, tips and tricks. And um, But it can also fool you into believing that there's sort of a cookie cutter way of building a company. Uh, when you think about the, the the exec hiring playbook specifically, I think if you if you read a lot of things on the internet, it'll basically tell you that the playbook looks something like this. Um, first, there's a set of standard exec roles that every SaaS business should have. And when you need to fill one of those roles, what you do is you call up your VC and they give you a list of people who have been there, done that in uh, companies of similar stage, similar products, similar price point, similar target customer, similar go-to-market strategy. Occasionally, you might need to go someone go for someone who's a bit of a stretch, but most of the time, you'll just be able to sort through all of these amazing people and make the hire. Um, you know, that might work if you're the hot company with the best investors in the Bay Area. Um, but I just think it's kind of ridiculous to, to think that that's the way it works for most of us. So what, what, how, how have you gone about it then? So, uh, I mean, I understand that you've hired, uh, you know, seven out of nine, you know, direct reports. Um, how did you go about this sort of process? What, what, what sort of things are you looking at? I mean, interestingly, um, 
uh, I, I'm not necessarily sure whether these were direct reports, but we just had uh, like Michael Litt from Vidyard speak at, uh, at, at SASDOC 18. Uh, and he published, I think, uh, an article kind of this week about uh, how Vidyard is, like, uh, I'm not sure exclusively, but mainly hiring humanities majors uh, as, as their <laughs> thing, which is, is quite interesting. But everybody has their own, I guess, kind of like idiosyncrasies in terms of the hiring processes. But how, how did you go about, because um, uh, I, I, I do believe, like you said, like, uh, you know, whilst it's great, there are playbooks out there. People can learn from this. You, you know, it is not cookie cutter. One, you know, one fit for for all, right? Everybody has their own way to grow their company. Um, so, what what was your way to kind of hire these direct reports? So, you know, what, how how do you find people? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is I just think about building that team as almost a craft. Um, you know, there's a real analogy with building uh, elite sports teams, right? Um, and, you know, if, if you sort of said to the GM or the manager of an elite sports team that all you do is follow a playbook, they'll tell you that that's ridiculous. Um, you know, it takes them years of drafts and trade and development to get the talent and the chemistry in the team that they need to, to get a shot at winning the championship. So, look, as I was um, building the team, I guess I, I focused more um, focused on that craft and also for each of the roles that I was bringing on board, I tried to get really clear on what was a non-negotiable and what I was prepared to compromise on. And that might be different for different roles. Um, and I also think one thing I developed over time was the acceptance that as the CEO, you're also a really important part of that equation. So you have to know your strengths and weaknesses and preferences. And in some cases, that means you need to be humble and say, I need more help in an area. And in other cases, it can be the right thing to just say, I don't care what other people think. This is the way that things are going to be. Um, and look, when, when I was going about hiring the team, you know, we had to tap all channels uh, to find the right, uh, the right group of people. We used our personal networks, um, you know, exec board investors, uh, we built a bit of an employer brand, uh, particularly in New Zealand. We used recruiters and we did active searches. Uh, and, you know, I think we ended up with a really um, interesting group of people. Um, and I Butch, who runs our Toronto office and our North American business, he's a, he used to be an accountant and a rock singer and a semi-pro ice hockey player. And he's also been the CEO of three venture-backed startups. Um, you know, we found him through a recruiter. Uh, Dave, who runs Australia... Um, he actually came through a recruiter that I'd met on a different search that we hadn't retained for the search that we did. Uh, Anna, and uh, who's our chief commercial officer, I'd known her for a long time and I'd heard that she was considering her options. Um, so I just think, you know, it, it's a really nuanced and, as I said, craft-like uh, process of kind of building propositions for the people who you want to bring on board and then seeing how they're all going to fit together and, and kind of bringing strengths on to compensate for yours and the rest of the team's weaknesses. Given, given the, I, I guess, kind of the, the spread, uh, you know, of offices across the globe for, for Vend and, you know, uh, I, I guess kind of recruitment around these different offices, perhaps are there, I guess, a couple of questions come to mind, you know, are there different cultures within the, the different offices that, that you have to be kind of like mindful for, okay, you know, SF in Toronto is going to be different from, from Auckland uh, and then how do you fit that into one company culture? Uh, and then, uh, like you as a CEO that's based in Auckland, uh, you know, when you're doing this kind of recruiting or even just, I, I guess, kind of, you, you know, the, the management of the, these international offices, are you constantly on a plane or how do you manage that 
and ha- you know, uh, from the interview side of things, you know, are you flying to Toronto for the final interviews, or well, you know, what are you, or are they coming to Auckland, or you know, how does it work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a bit of everything. Uh, on your on your first question around culture, and uh, you know, there is a very unified culture in Vend across the globe, um, and that was something I have to give Vaughan and, and the early team a lot of credit for. So there are there are a number of things which we have in common. Uh, of course, there's you know specific location cultural differences, but the way that we behave and the values that we expect everyone to live by um, are absolutely uh, you know the same across all of our offices. Um, it's actually one of the things that gives me most pleasure when I'm when I'm travelling around to the different offices. Um, so I, I get on a plane. Uh, I'm in the Northern Hemisphere sort of once a quarter. Um, I tend to be in Australia uh, pretty much every month that I'm not in the US or Europe. Um, So there's a bit of travel, but it's certainly manageable. Um, With the hires, it really does vary, and it kind of depends on the person and who we have in the area. Um, I don't always meet every hire um, in person before uh, before we make an offer. Um, I'll make sure I've obviously spent a lot of time with them on VidCon, but technology is so good these days that I think you can usually get a pretty good sense for who people are. Um, I think the the thing which is different in different locations when we're hiring is, for lack of a better term, the the sort of employer value proposition is different in different offices. Um, In New Zealand, clearly there's sort of a a bit of a patriotic aspect to it where people really want to be part of a a, um, a company that was founded in New Zealand going global. Um, That doesn't apply so much in, in Toronto or Melbourne or London where it's more about the opportunity of the company and in some case, and just, you know, it has to sort of stand on its own two feet. And in some cases, the people who we're bringing in are attracted to the idea that there are some things we don't know how to do yet and they feel like they can add a lot of value. How, how do you keep the company uh, aligned? Uh, and again, I mean, aligned through growth, but, you know, culture and I guess, you know, all the different time zones, the different offices, like yeah. is, is company alignment a big challenge for you or, do you, you know, how, how do you solve that? Yeah, it is. And I, I think any CEO uh, who um, of a reasonable-sized company, and particularly when you spread across multiple time zones, would, would just honestly tell you that it is a challenge and it's something you need to constantly be working on. And it changes as the company changes also. Um, so there are a lot of things which, which you have to do. Um, you know, clarity around mission, values, goals, all of those things are important. Um, you know, we are, we're heavy communicators. We have a monthly all-hands. Um, there's pretty copious use of Slack. Uh, as I said, I, I do get on a plane reasonably frequently to make sure I'm staying connected um, to the offices and not just in those moments, but it just builds relationships so that then you've got better connections in between the times when you can see people in person. So those things I think um, you know many companies would do. For me, though, the, there have really been three things which I think have made a big difference. One is one of our values is act as an owner. Um, and I think that having that ownership attitude in your company is really, really important where you've got everybody thinking from an overall company perspective. So that's something which we just expect and demand of everyone in the team. We're constantly talking about it. And I think, um, you know, we pretty, we do pretty well at, uh, sort of encouraging all of our people to go into every conversation they have with that lens in mind. Um, the second thing is just keeping things simple and, and constantly making it simple, simpler. Uh, as the company gets bigger, alignment gets harder. Um, so, you know, you can't just sort of keep it simple. You almost need to focus and sharpen things even more than it was um, when the company was smaller. But the biggest one and the one which I think gets underestimated a lot is just hiring great managers and leaders. 
Um, you know, as CEO, I do a lot of things. Uh, you know, I stand up in all hands and I like to think that I have an impact. But the biggest positive change we've had on the alignment of the company is having those strong leaders in every function and in every location. And that just means when, you know, when things are moving fast, people start to get a bit, um, bit unsettled. There's a calm, strong voice there who can say to them, this is how it's supposed to be. Here's how it connects to your day-to-day work and your personal aspirations. Um, you know, that's really important. And, of course, then they bring other, str- other strong leaders into their teams, and that, it just has a snowball effect. So that, that, for me, has just been the biggest lever. Awesome. Um, a, a couple of um, uh, sort of uh, quick questions around or um, whether we've got the uh, quick answers for it. So, so curious, obviously, like with um, SaaS companies that are in New Zealand and Australia, um, you know, I guess, w- what is your advice for those SaaS startups that are, let's say, much earlier stage than Vend that are looking to internationalize? You know, when should they do it? You know, which countries should they perhaps sort of look at first? Um, seeing as you guys have kind of done that, um, you know, what, what, what's your advice around that? Yeah, so in New Zealand, the answer is really simple, which is that you almost need to be born global. Um, you know, we, we live in a, in a country that has four and a half million people, so the domestic market's tiny, and if you have big aspirations, you're going to have to go overseas very soon, uh, and a lot faster than most, um, you know, certainly most US-based companies do. So that makes it harder, I think, in those earlier stages, but then it positions you much better to scale when you get to the sort of size that we are. Um, so it's a bit of a... Um, bit of a double-edged sword on that one. Australia is even trickier where, honestly, I would encourage Australian startups to go uh, global very early in their journey as well. And I think, it, you know, my observation is that that's harder for Australian companies because Australian companies often look at their domestic market and they think, oh, this is big enough to build a decent-sized business. Um, and so perhaps there's not the imperative to go global as early as it is in New Zealand. But if you want to build a big, significant company, you're going to have to go beyond the Australian market. And, you know, there's probably going to be someone somewhere else in the world who's trying to solve a similar problem to you. So you can't seed the biggest markets to them early in that process. Otherwise, by the time you get to go overseas, they'll be gone. Uh, so it's a really difficult balance. You know, my McKinsey training would also tell me that you should, you should focus lots. And so that, that balance is tricky. But, um, look, I, I think, um, you know, New Zealand and Australia, it's very difficult to build a SaaS business of scale in those two markets, and so you just have to make a move early. Any tips and on, on the other side of the, the coin, say for um, US or European SaaS companies uh, that are looking to enter the, the Oceania sort of market, um, you know, what advice would you have to, uh, for them, um, you know, I guess uh, where should they be based? You know, should it be Auckland, Sydney, Melbourne? Um, you know, does, does that matter? Um, uh, and anything else in terms of like, you know, breaking into, uh, into that market? Yeah, that, that's, that's tough. I haven't thought about that one so much. I mean, part of it just off the top of my head, um, would depend on the sort of product and business model and sort of the sort of organization that you want to build, um, you know, I don't know Sydney versus Melbourne intimately well. What I do know is that we've been able to get great go-to-market talent in Melbourne. Um, I think, uh, and I know that in, in Victoria, they've been investing significantly in getting companies to sort of build out their product and engineering talent. Um, traditionally, Sydney had a much bigger kind of product and engineering community. 
The one thing I would say to them is um, don't forget about New Zealand. Uh, as much as I don't want competition for my engineer, for, for engineering talent, I, I wouldn't be doing the right thing by the country if I didn't, if I didn't give us a bit of a plug. Uh, but genuinely, like there is a lot, you know, we believe that we've been able to get world-class talent based in New Zealand and there are, you know, there is a burgeoning community um, and people who really want to do stuff in software. And uh, this is, you know, companies that come to New Zealand, you get the opportunity of having uh, a hungry workforce who want to do big things. And it's an easy overnight flight from, from the West Coast to the US. So, you know, it's actually relatively easy to do. Awesome. Uh, and a fi- final question, Alex, as we come to the, the end of the show, we always like to ask our guests how they stay healthy and sane on their, their SaaS journey. What's your way? Oh, there's, there's a couple of things that I do regularly. Uh, so one is just time with my family. We were talking about this earlier. I, I have a, you know, I think family is often spoken about as, as a challenge when you're running a business, but I just have a very clear belief that being a good husband and father makes me a better leader and CEO. And so that's super important. Um, the other one is I do uh, once a week, I do an early morning walk around the neighborhood with an old friend who's now a partner in a top corporate law firm. And we just bounce stuff around on work and life. Uh, we're very similar in some ways in terms of our values and, and I guess the pressure level in our jobs, but we're very different and not competitive. So, so that I think we both find that as a bit of a joint therapy session. Um, aside from that, there's just a bunch of stuff that I, I sort of call on, which, um, you know, depending on what I'm looking for and time available. Time, uh, the outdoors, I read a lot, sometimes thriller novels for a bit of healthy escapism, exercise, you know, spending time with friends and mentors, all of that stuff. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, bunch of things. Awesome. Uh, all right. And, uh, look, I mean, uh, it's, it's been uh, amazing speaking to you today. I'm, I'm super excited to actually uh, have the opportunity to speak with you in person on, on stage at Sasquatch Oceania uh, in Sydney on December the 6th. Uh, we'll go in more detail then uh, talking about ripping up the playbook when hiring uh, an executive team. Um, yeah, excited for that. Alex Faller, CEO at Vend, uh, thank you so much uh, for, for sharing your, your lessons today. Thank you, Alex, and can't wait for Sydney. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show and have picked up valuable lessons from Alex Faller, CEO of Vend. He'll be joined by 20 other brilliant speakers at SaaS.Oceania Oceania in Sydney on December the 6th. Grab a ticket at sas.com and join us there. Thanks for listening. See you next time.